Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is produced in association with Jazz Times. Composer John Finbury's life has been filled with music, although he's had what he calls his parallel life as a practicing attorney for the last 35 years. John played drums in rock bands in his teens, studied classical piano and music theory in college, ran a concert hall after that, and eventually focused on composing, which led to a Grammy nomination in 2020 for Best Latin Jazz Album. I talked to John about his new Latin jazz CD, Quantro, and American Nocturnes, Final Days of July, which is a lovely contrast of intimate chamber jazz arranged for piano, cello, guitar, accordion, and harmonica. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. John and I recorded this conversation November 5th, 2020. I told you before we even started how much I love your new CD, and you wrote it during and recorded it during this time. And I think it's very evocative and just beautiful and poetic and so perfect for this time. So talk about just the creation of it and during it during this time. Well, thank you. Um, I'm delighted to be on your show, by the way. No, and, uh, thank that you. That we're talking. Um, so the, these particular, you talk the American Nocturnes. Um, I have been composing. The first one actually was composed in in two thousand and five, um, and and actually that's the one I play on. That's Waltz for Patty, and Patty happens to be my wife, and and clearly it's a reference to Waltz for to Bill Evans and Waltz for Debbie, right? Um, and then. Um, the other 10 compositions have been um, instrumentals that I thought um, had a particular mood that they had in common. Um, and in the same way that, I don't know, Chopin Nocturnes have a particular move that they have in common. And um, only one of them is a song that I also applied and wrote that had lyrics to and was recorded as a, a different st- in a different style. Um, but... Um, I've been working on the actual recording part of this since 2016 and um, with uh, friends from uh, from Boston. Uh, Tim Ray uh, is the pianist and um, Eugene Friesen, uh, the, the cellist, uh, Claudio Ragazzi, the great uh, the, uh, guitar player, and then um, Ronnie Aiton, who is a wonderful Israeli harmonica player that came through Boston and the late Roberto Kassan, who was the accordion player, and I actually think that his work on this album was his last recorded work, and he went uh, home to uh, Sardinia, I think, and and passed away um, mm. riding his bicycle. Um, so it's a particular meaning in that way, uh, resonance. And then v- Vitor Gonsalves uh, is the, uh, then we brought in to do the other accordion work. So... I wanted to make a record that um, was had piano cello as its core, um, but then had other instruments that you don't normally combine with those. You don't normally hear a harmonica, for example, with those. And and one of the reasons that I thought harmonica and accordion would work well is because some of the songs I thought 
um, had an Americana feel to them, either gospel feel or um, Stephen Foster-ish type, type of feel to them, uh, especially the title track, Final Days of July, did um, the song I wrote uh, for my mother, which was I'll Pray For You, definitely had a gospel sound to it, and so, um, which suggested different kinds of instruments to bring in for it. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. And so they were recorded between 2016 and 2018. And then I, um, but I hadn't released the record yet because I had been doing these other projects and uh, Brazilian music. And and there was never like a good time to release the record until I thought, until this pandemic hit. And then Knowing the mood of the record, I just said this seems like something that would, that could be helpful, mm. not only for me but people. Uh, it it would help perhaps calm things down and relax them and 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 create an experience of beauty. I hope.
I love the combination of accordion and harmonica. Is that unusual? Because I can't remember hearing it, and it, they seem to my ear, at least the way that you've put it together, a natural pairing. Um, I think it is a natural pairing. I th- if you, uh, for example, there is a harmonica setting on an accordion. Oh, I didn't know that. It's called harmonica. Um, and, um, but a lot of it had to do with the musician himself, right? There's the sound, but, but the way that, uh, in this, Ronnie Iton could play and fit in and, 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 and do counterpoint and listen to what, to the tracks and what was going on around him and come up with beautiful counter melodies or, or doubling melodies, um, made a lot of sense because he was so skilled at it. And the sound is so high, and in terms of, you know, the music spectrum, I wanted to fill it. Mm. Because you have the cello way down low, and sometimes he'll jump an octave, but you generally way down low. And and the piano is generally being played in, in the middle and low register, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and there's no percussion, and so it left an entire upper register to, to work with. The other thing is that that these you know the musicians come and they bring their instruments right and they're beautiful instruments. So Roberto Casan brought this gorgeous accordion made of red wood that was handmade by a special artisan in Italy that you don't normally see. And he brought a number of accordions to the session and we played, you know, he showed the sound a different one and it was just warm and different. And so, you know, we revealed the the beauty of the instrument itself. You know, later on, we, we may talk about my recent discovery and you pro- of, of Maria Schneider, right? And and her recordings. And one of the things I love about 
this, my discovery of Maria Schneider and her band is how she um, celebrates the instruments in her orchestra. And you hear, you know, a bass clarinet and it's just, and she leaves it alone. She leaves it <laughs> for, you, for you to hear it. Schneider and her orchestra on Maria's composition, Walking by Flashlight. Talk about Maria, though, because you brought this track for me that you really loved, and I want to pursue that because I want to expand on what you said, that she has her bass clarinet and then she just leaves it alone, and tell people what you mean by that. I know what you mean by that, but that's interesting because most people are hearing just a... um, a wall of, not, I don't want to say wall of sound because that has its own connotation, but you know what I mean. They're hearing all the instruments together and not necessarily hearing each individual. Right. And well, she's, you know, she has a big band, but it's not your classic blaring brass big band with this wall of brass sound where they're all playing together. Um, she's a, she comes from a very different place. Um, although she will do that and she will get you, you know, she will give you a wall of sound and, and have people um, playing at the same time and, and against each other. But uh, particularly in the track I, I, I was focused on, which was Walking by Flashlight, she, it's, which is a beautiful ballad, she, um, she really foc- lets... She, she does something that I try to do as well. That's one of the things that speaks to her, which is I come in with a composed song. So, it, you know, an intro, an A, a B section, a coda, uh, so that there's it's through composed in terms of sort of the skeleton and bones of the song. But I want it's a jazz composition, which means it's, you know, in casting it and in bringing the musicians to it, you want them to do their thing, to um, to make up their melodies and to improvise and do their and, and be lyrical in their own way and express themselves it, 
in that song, and she does the same thing, and which makes her a jazz composer. Mm. Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with composer John Finbury about his CD, American Nocturnes. The title track is, uh, is the most Americana of the, uh, of, of the songs. Um, you know, sometimes when I come up for titles with songs, they're just working titles, and I'll just do something mon- obvious and mundane that just occurs <laughs> to me so I can have a working title on my, uh, on my lead sheet as I go through but th- this song was actually written in the final days of July um, and looking out on the water and had a real feel to it um, that, that uh, was, a, I guess you call bittersweet feel mm. that you get in the late days of summer, right? Mm. But, and um, that you don't want to end. And, um, and one of the interesting things about this that I like about uh, this particular recording is that the intro... I mean, it sounds like different things to different people. Some people say it sounds like firefly. They see fireflies, um, but it's all done with harmonica notes mm. and and accordion notes. The first minute of the song is just this um, impressionistic atmosphere that's being set before you hear even the first notes of the piano to, to come in to start, you know, the melodies of the song. And um, that was really fun to do. I give Bob Patton, who is the co-producer and the engineer, a lot of credit in, in putting that together because that's not something that you could do live very easily. Um, that, that, that's a multi-track uh, creation uh, and a creation of the studio, but one that I thought really was quite effective. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Now, your press that I was reading on the release of this CD was talking about the huge contrast and how unexpected this CD that we're talking about, the American Nocturnes, would be uh, to someone who knew your other work and knew your Brazilian music and all of that. And I didn't find that to be the case. I saw a complete through line of your personality. Maybe that's just my ears, but I saw this uh, beautiful, lyrical, soulful, kind of dreamy aspect to your Brazilian music as well. So talk about that. I mean, is there a huge contrast? I mean, and I say that in a good way. I would pick that out. But I saw your personality for me, for my ears, in both of those in a similar way. Well, I would say that that, that's that's because you're hearing my chords. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair Uh, enough. (laughs) I mean, who, uh, I love lush chords. I'm drawn to them. I love major ninths and sharp elevenths and major sevenths. And and you'll hear a lot of of close, uh, tight chords and smooth uh, inversions in my music and it which lends itself beautifully to bossa nova of course bossa nova does so you won't hear a dominant but you'll hear the substitution all the time and you'll hear very close bass lines and i guess where the the difference in sound comes on the surface is of course there's no percussion and there's no clave and there's no conga there's no um none of the uh, so that that the actual sound of Brazil, the samba sound, is not there. But the roots of the songs are uh, are are similar. And and um, as you know, you can take a lot of American uh, songbook standards and make them into a bossa just by you know, telling your drummer to play a bossa clave <laughs> beat and your bass player to do it. Uh, uh. But it's wonderful. I loved it because I think that's the greatest compliment when you can hear someone's personality and how they put that through in all of their music. I was delighted by that because I was expecting, because I told you you're new to me and it's a great new discovery for me. And I, when I was listening to the other things, I thought, yeah, I get it. (laughs) It was great.
Independence Day, John Finbury's composition from his CD Quantro. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on all the usual podcast platforms and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production not funded by NPR. We're funded primarily by your donations. So please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in. No gift is too small. And please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. I asked my guest, composer John Finbury, about his process for writing. He had a particular motivation for the opening track on his CD, Quantro. The opening track, Negarial uh, Dia, it means uh, your day will come, um, is, I view it as a freedom song or a political song. And a lot of the music that I write, I can't really put my finger on what stimulates it beyond a feeling, right? This one was different. Um, this one, I was, was written when the story broke that at that families were being broken up at the Mexican border and children were being put in cages. And I specifically remember watching the news and that seeing that story and my blood pressure going up and getting upset. And I went right over to the piano and I played that first jagged, angry line that opens this song. Da-da, da-da, da-da. And, and at the same time, I thought of a title, which was You Will Rue the Day. Um, and that, so it was an angry, um, defiant, um, hopefully, uh, the it's a song about justice and about and about a bad situation that needed to get uh, a light shown on it. I guess I, I wanted to do it artistically and I wanted to express what I was feeling. And it wrote very, very quickly. Mm. Um, 
The lyrics are written by Emilio de Millar, who's my producer, they're in Spanish, and essentially, um, and it was a song that we thought told was important enough that I, we did a, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but we did a animated, we had it animated. It's and, wonderful. And, I watched it. It's right, really, the, everybody, all of you listening to this, you should go see it. So keep talking, but right. I just, I loved it. It uh, really tells the story of the lyric and, and the song, uh, I think, perfectly. And um, we're very proud of it. I'm glad we did it. And I uh, encourage everyone to go and look at it because it really, especially these days, I mean, you and I are used to growing up without music video, but there's a real strong place for music video, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought uh, that this song uh, w- w- was perfect to do it the way, uh, the way we did. And I'm really happy with, uh, with how it came out, certainly.
one of the things that's fun for me on the show and talking about people's inspirations, which is not necessarily their desert island discs. It's right. really what got you going and things. And a lot of people wouldn't make those connections. They'd say, well, that inspired you. Like, if, well, people hearing me play would know that I'm a fanatic Bill Evans fan, for instance. You know, yeah, so there's yeah, these yeah, things yeah, that, yeah. you know, bring together. So I want to talk about some of your, speaking of Bill Evans, let's talk about Bill Evans because you brought me a beautiful track. Oh, oh. I love this. Talk about it. So um, that track came into my life when I was very young. Mm. Um, so I, I had parents who were uh, uh, musical, and my father was a musician and a jazzer. And, um, you know, so I have images of, of, I have his piano, his Steinway O downstairs Aww. now in my living room. And I have, you know, he has an interesting background because he was a violinist and this is as, as, as an aside, if you allow an aside, he, he was given, he was a depression era kid and he was a violinist and practicing. I can just see him practicing furiously in his basement as a kid, thinking that he was going to make a career on as a classical violin, you know, and a soloist. And when he was 20, he was in Boston and he was a freshman at Harvard and someone gave him tickets to go to the BSO Boston Symphony Orchestra to hear a young violinist who is his age by the, from Hungary by the name of Yehudi Menowin. <laughs> and, and he went to the concert and real, apparently had an epiphany and realized that there were violinists and then there were violinists. Yep. And that he was never, he was dashed, actually. And, he, and that was the last day that he ever played his violin. Wow. What a story. And, um, you know, and I don't necessarily agree with that approach to, to music, that you don't have to be on the mountaintop. You know, it's the, the journey is, is, is worthwhile, Worthwhile, too. right. And who can be on the mountaintop? Um, I mean, how, how many Yehudi Menowins are there? And I've certainly known many conservatory players and classical musicians who um, quit as young adults after achieving close to world-class, you know, facility and musicianship because um, they, it was too hard, I guess, for them. Well, I think that it's one of the, I think this is a fascinating subject to pursue just a little bit because I think that these are the things that, I don't want to say separates the men from the boys, but um there's a lot more that goes into a person continuing with their art than most people think. I know when I was young, uh, in my early 20s, and I was first starting out with this, I thought, well, everybody should just go for it. And they should, you know, I was very um, uh, judgmental of people who didn't keep going. And then I got older and I saw that there were other things that people wanted in their life, or maybe they weren't as brave in certain ways. Maybe that first uh, rejection crushed them. And they shouldn't keep going. Or they're a person who hears. I've met people, and I know you have too, who hears and understands on such a profound level that not being able to attain that affects them very differently. And I know I, I went on a cruise. I was hired to go on a cruise because I used to write for a magazine called Sheet Music Magazine. And they hired me to go for people to meet me and other people who wrote for the magazine. And I met all of these amateurs 
And they weren't particularly skilled amateurs, but they loved it so much. And I, at the time, I thought if I played like that, I wouldn't play piano. Right. If that's as far as I'd get, but that's my personality. And it, it humbled me to see these people that loved music so passionately that they would play, get sheet ma music magazine every month and keep playing because their, in my terms, small result was a huge result to them. Right. And who am I to judge what that result is? So I think we all come at this very differently. If you're a perfectionist um, and it has to be perfect, it, it, that's going to stop a lot of people from okay. continuing with their instrument. It's Absolutely. Just, you know, you're, you're struggling with the beast all the time and, and it's really, you, you know, luckily we have jazz. It's okay to make a note, a, a wrong note here. <laughs> but but in, yeah, but you, but you're struggling with it and that is, um, that's its own uh, gift to be able to keep struggling with it. And I, I say it's always a balance between knowing, quote, how good you are, but not having that hobble you, because knowing to be aware of how much you don't know and not having that hobble you. It's, it's yeah. the balance between those two things, don't you think? I do, and you have to love the process. I mean, I love to practice, I uh, and I like to play. And uh, but if I had to be, you know, if, if I ha if I was a had to be a concert pianist and and you know play Beethoven's Appassionata Sonata perfect like you know like Richter without making a mistake, that would be I think I would crack. That would be too much pressure. Yeah, it's a different. I well, I and I'm incapable of playing the same thing every time. I wrote a, a book of arrangements and then I couldn't play it the same way. I had to, they had to hire somebody else to play my music because I couldn't make the recording because they keep saying, you're changing it. I go, no, I'm not. The good, it's nothing like what you've written. Right. <laughs> so right. It's, it's a different thing. But anyway, talk about Bill so, Evans because so we all love back Bill. To Bill. So my dad brought uh, a, a lot of, it was funny growing up. Uh, so I'm a little older than you are, right? And, uh, but so, you know, in the early 60s when I'm a, a young teenager, there's jazz in my living room, and then upstairs in my room, there's the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan, and uh, so the lots of different, and there's lots of classical music in the house, and a, and a live piano, and, so, and, a, and, a, and I had a drum kit, because I was a drummer. So there's all different kinds of music going on, but that undercurrent album with, with Bill and, um, and, and Jim Hall came into the living room in like 1963 or 64 when I was like, tw I think I'm 12 years old. Oh, and, man. And it, I was listening, you know, it struck me and I thought it was just beautiful. And I love the way, and I still do, I, st I listen to that album all the time. And mm. he, they did too. They did Undercurrent and the follow-up a few years later was an album called Intermodulations, I think. Um, where their their empathy with each other, the way they pass melodies off to each other and are listening to each other and improvising on on the beautiful songs, is just unmatched. I I just um, it moves me. And the other thing about it is, uh, like we were saying before, the sound of those instruments, two beautiful instruments. I love the sound of guitar. Acoustic guitar, especially, but I, and and uh, 
as a pianist, you, you know, there are pianos and there are pianos and a really good piano that's, that's, that's in tune and in the hands of a master like Bill is just uh, something special. And you know, with, with Bill, uh, you can hear three notes and you just know it's him. I love hearing you say that you keep coming back to this Bill Evans track because I think we all have those and those tracks. And I know for me, it's the Jobim Sinatra CD. And I was, it was funny because I was talking to Mike Renzi, the great pianist. And we both at the same time, I said, what do you come back to? When you and I was making a funny bit about it because I said we just we'd gone out for a drink together and they were playing horrible music, and we walked out and I said, 
What do you listen to when you have to flush all that out and bring you back and remind you why we're doing this? And at the same time, we said Joe Beam and Sinatra. So it winds up that was our go-to to keep putting it on when everything else failed. And I know you're a huge Joe Beam fan. So talk about Joe Beam. I am. We'll talk about cleansing the palate. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So Jobim, um, oh God, the songs are so, so, so beautiful. And, and um, I first heard, well, I was introduced, introduced to his music again in, in, uh, through my parents in the living room with, with the, you know, gets Gilberto and so we're talking 1965 Brazil 65 and just you know when Brazil when Stan Getz brought Brazilian music to New York in in the uh, mid 60s and my parents were I guess right it was you know, their pop culture right and so it became part of my pop culture as well too and in my in my years um, and then when I started playing jazz and had my own little group and we started, um, I began playing Jobim songs and, and, um, and that one particular Louis Bonfa song, the, uh, um, uh, Mania de Carnaval song, I think was one of the first Brazilian, um, songs that uh, I learned as a, as a jazz group and to, and got to play the melody and to improvise on it. And, um, and I had of course remembered, uh, Astrid Gilberto singing that and singing in a way that no other singer was singing um, that I could think of, which was, compl- you know, no vibrato and, uh, and, very, and just simple and bare and spare and naked. And I loved that. And, and I loved his, uh, Jobim's palette. I mean, his harmonic palette is uh, a jazz palette. It is beautiful chord, you know, they're American jazz chords.
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest is John Finbury. I'm fascinated that for years, for 35 years, you've been a trial lawyer as well as a composer, musician, performer, all these things that you've done. And I find that staggering just in terms of time and mental energy, too, to put these things together because you're not just doing this a little bit. And I want you to speak to that because lots of writers talk about that in writer workshops that, because everybody wants to write a book, you know, it's sort of that thing. And somehow they know they have to practice with music, but everybody thinks they can write. And I, I shouldn't say that, but you know what I'm saying. And that right. writers are always saying, uh, professional writers, that they have a routine that it's like going to the office and they some write in the morning, some write in the afternoon, some write all night, but they have a routine. It's a work habit. And I want you to speak to that because I'm fascinated with how you've been able to do this. I do have a routine. And, um, you know, so there aren't, aren't enough hours in the day to be, to do everything you want to do to, you know, to, to, in this case, to, uh, being a lawyer is can be all-consuming, especially when you're on trial. Even though you come home, you're lawyering. You have your your, your dialogues going on in your head. You're, whether you're at, taking a shower or lying in bed, and usually, if you're if you're on trial, you're completely consumed. I, w I, I will say that I'm not composing when I'm on trial, but um, nor my normal routine has always been that I always enjoyed playing piano and practicing piano. And so I, uh, so that was always part of my um, everyday routine is just to work on work on my practice and practice with the repertoire of what pieces I'm working on and to keep my te technique as fluent as possible in the short amount of time that I had. On the composition side, I would compose. My routine is I uh, I get up very early in the morning, and would. Uh, would compose for a couple of hours in the morning and then get ready and go to work. And then I compose after dinner at night and on weekends. Now in COVID times, it's different. Um, uh, I, my practice is, is much more wind down. The courts are not open and haven't been. So, you, uh, and what, what we do do legally is done like this on zoom. Right. Um, and and I was planning this year to be semi-retired anyway. I was going to go um, spend more time on composition and spend less time um, being being a trial lawyer. And that uh, so I'm weaning. I'm I'm not saying that I'm giving up my my uh, my bar code my bar card. And I still have clients that like to hear bad news immediately. But. Uh, <laughs> My attorney, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always, I love, I always that. I love that line from The Godfather. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so I still have clients that I uh, that have issues that uh, when they come up, they, you know, call me and I we will work on, on things and problem solve. Um, but most of my lawyering these days is spent on training my replacement and helping uh, him with his new practice and mm. um and i like that so that's good that's part and i take the, the 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 quarantine has been a really fruitful time for me because but back before if i my goal would be 
if I'm working on a song, to try to get one keeper, what I would call a keeper, a month. If I could, if I could write 12 um, songs that I thought were worthy of, of recording, spending money on and recording and exploring, then I was, that was my goal, to try to do one a month. And since the quarantine, I'm doing one a week. Wow, that's impressive. And that's because gonna I have really much more time you. to do it. Yeah. yeah, well, and you have more mental energy too. I mean, that's I one do. of the things that I really think that I try to tell people now who are struggling so much with this time, separate from from money. I always say that because it's a tragedy what's happening to people who right. are losing their houses and can't feed their children. But people that I know that are being driven crazy by having all this time and all we have is time. That's the gift. And if you can think about what you can do during this time that you never get a chance to do, which in your case, you're not in court, so right. you do have more time. And I I think it's inspiring to take that focus. But also, one of the great things for me about the creative people I know are that they they think differently and they approach life differently because they're they're seeking out projects and things to create to put into the world and that's a beautiful thing than spending all your time just looking at facebook or and they're they're always being trashed so anything else but just you know using your time productively which feed i think feeds you tenfold I, I agree, and I, I try not to be. I mean, we all fall into it to be reactive to what's uh, to the noise around us, right? And and to react to the emo emotions of the day. But you know, the defiant part of me says, I am not going to let you know MSNBC determine my emotional state today. Right. Exactly. Gonna, no, it's true. It's true. And. Right. Uh, and you've done that for me because you've gotten me inspired and your beautiful oh, you. CD and our great conversation. And you're my big discovery, I feel <laughs> like, because I didn't know your music. And I'm so excited. And to get to meet you like this, it's fantastic. And I just, I love your music. And I'm glad that I had this opportunity and that you took this time. So thank you very, very much. Thank you, Judy. My pleasure. And it's, uh, I hope we'll do it again on, uh, at some time. I hope so, too. You've been listening to my conversation with John Finbury. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another celebrated creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on all the usual podcast platforms or at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one, from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love, from my CD trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway and & Sons and Jazz Times. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stride Queen. 
For more information, visit judycarmichael.com or jazzinspired.com. 